We're in a series of messages called The Week, the greatest week in human history, the last week of Jesus' life. And we've progressed as far as Tuesday in the week, and we're about to overhear some of the most indicting and confrontational words that the Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, ever spoke on this earth. And he addressed these strong words to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, a proud group of Jewish religious leaders. And I'm pretty confident that the Pharisees actually began their sincere service with God-honoring intentions. The Pharisees had a passion to know and to model and to teach the law of Moses to guide God's people. And that's a good thing. And they were concerned about the Jewish people living godly lives so the entire nation would be blessed. That's a good thing. In short, these teachers of the law and Pharisees wanted to promote pure, uncontaminated devotion to God. And that sounds like good, solid, spiritual leadership to me. But the problem was their zeal reached a tipping point and they actually became hypocrites. And in chapter 23 of Matthew, that is exactly the word that Jesus uses to call them out no less than six times in 33 verses. And He had some other colorful descriptors. He calls them blind guides, verse 16, blind fools, verse 17, blind men, verse 19, whitewashed tombs, verse 27, snakes, verse 33, brood of vipers, verse 33. Wow, that doesn't sound very much like Jesus. So what was it that earned these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, that kind of scathing rebuke? Well, we're going to find out, but first let me give you the message today in a single exclamatory statement. Here it is, inner character, not outer appearance, is what impresses the Lord. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 to 33, Jesus pronounces a series of woes or a series of judgments on the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Now, obviously, this is serious stuff as Jesus exposed the pretense and the duplicity of these religious leaders who have consistently disrespected Him and publicly discredited Him. But here Jesus has the last word. In chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus has the last word, and it's about 72 hours before the Pharisees will pull a trigger on the plot to deliver Him up to death. Now, although this is a very dark passage, if you'll permit me this morning, I'd like to have a bit of a light touch on it. I want to use kind of a tongue-in-cheek approach this morning, a, a humorous approach today. And the reason is because as Julie Andrews sings in Mary Poppins, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. I think most of you are familiar with the name Jack. Jeff Foxworthy. He is a stand-up comedian, TV personality. He is mostly known for a string of one-liners that begin with the words, you might be a redneck. And 
He should know because in his home state of Georgia, it's well populated with rednecks, and he professes to be one himself. And here we are just across the Ohio River from Kentucky, and some of us, including me, including me from southwest Missouri, we've probably been infected with a little bit of the redneck virus too. So see if this strikes a chord of familiarity with you. You might be a redneck if people ask for prices on the stuff in your front yard and you're not having a sale. If the most expensive thing you bought at the mall came from the food court, you might be a redneck. If your matched set of luggage is two plastic shopping bags from Walmart, you might be a redneck. If you think the last words of the national anthem are, gentlemen, start your engines, you might be a redneck. If you've been married three times and you stay, still have the same in-laws, you might be a redneck. <laughs> if you think Taco Bell is a Mexican phone company, you might be a... You might be a redneck if you're stopped by a state trooper who asks you if you have an ID and you say, about what? Or, or maybe you try to show him your belt buckle. <laughs> you might be a redneck if you think possum is the other white meat. And if you think fast food is running over a possum at 65 miles an hour, you might be a redneck if you've ever carried a fishing pole into SeaWorld, or if you think dual airbags is a reference to your wife and mother-in-law. I know, it's bad. You might be a redneck if you take a load to the dump and you come back with more than you took. Yeah. You might be a redneck if you had to remove a toothpick to pose for your wedding pictures. If the blue book value of your truck goes up or down, depending on how much gas you have in the tank, you might be a redneck. If you refer to the fifth grade as your senior year, you might be a redneck. If you stare at the orange juice container because it reads concentrate, you, you might be... Okay, you get the idea. You get the idea. Well, what if we took that line? What if we took that line, you might be a redneck, and we tweaked it a little? Now, last night, I'm going to confess that I had the worst pulpit blooper I've had in seven years at Crossroads. I said, what if we twerked that line a little to say... Darlene, do not interpret that word. <laughs> now that I've confessed that, I can't believe that word has even been spoken in our worship center. <laughs> what, if we, what if we tweaked that a little bit, and in, instead of saying you might be a redneck, what if we said you might be a Pharisee if, and then we move right down through the words of Jesus in Matthew 23. Let's do it. Here we go. You might be a Pharisee if you don't practice what you preach. 
Now in chapter 23, verses 1 to 4, then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. Do you ever wonder where that expression came from? It originated in the mouth of Jesus. They do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So, Jesus exposes the hypocrisy of the religious leaders here, and the word for hypocrite refers to an actor, someone who is playing a part, pretending to be someone they really aren't. So, a hypocrite today would be someone who complains about the sex and violence on their DVR, see? Someone who requests offering envelopes but does not faithfully give. Someone who claims to believe in serving never volunteers. Hypocrites are armchair Christians who can tell everyone else what to do, but they don't live up to their own standards. They set themselves up as rule makers, but they are not rule followers. They do not practice what they preach. And eventually, they make their own opinions and preferences equal to, thus says the Lord. Now, I'm a great fan of Dwight L. Moody and Billy Sunday, old-time preachers from days gone by. But when they preached against the evils of their day, sometimes they went a little too far. Moody preached against the evils of men having ruffles on their shirts. Billy Sunday preached against the evil of women chewing gum. Well, today it's important that as Christ followers, we are not primarily known for what we're against. It's important that we speak where the Bible speaks and we're silent where the Bible is silent. We must clearly and honestly reveal what God's Word says, not minimizing or exceeding its revelation, because our personal opinions do not equate with biblical revelation. And what we need to do in our generation, Christian friends, is not so much be spiritually authoritative, but focus on being spiritually authentic. Self-righteous teacher was trying to impress a class of middle school boys with the importance of living the Christian life, but he himself had a reputation for being temperamental. So when he asked the class, boys, do you know why people think of me as a Christian? After a brief pause, one of the youngsters replied, maybe it's because they don't know you as well as we do. So. What we want to do, if we want to disassociate from the Pharisees, is we want to be consistent in living what we profess, in practicing what we preach. Well, you might be a Pharisee if you need to be recognized and flattered. Verses 5 through 12, Jesus said, everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi. 
And Jesus said, The greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisees wanted recognition. They wanted praise. They did whatever they did with a self-serving motive. In fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that the Pharisees would actually blow a trumpet when they put their offering in the temple treasury. And if they were fasting, they wanted to make sure everyone noticed that they were suffering deprivation. There was this kind of an attitude in them. They wanted to be well thought of by people, but they were extreme with it. There's a reference in this text to something called phylacteries. These are little leather boxes that contained verses of Scripture. They were put inside the little leather boxes, and the Pharisees would actually bind these boxes on their left hands, and they would bind these boxes in the middle of their foreheads. And these boxes tended to get bigger. Jesus said, you make your phylacteries wide. In other words, they made these boxes big enough so that people would be able to see how devoted they were. And they also wore tassels on their garments, and the tassels would identify them as spiritual. And these tassels tended to get longer and longer. And Jesus exposed these practices as ego trips. They were evidence of insincerity and self-projection. Self so, folks, have you seen these get-ups that some professed spiritual leaders wear today? And it can be a Giorgio Brutini suit. It can be an ornate robe. It can be a three-foot-tall headdress of some kind. What's the point? What's the point if not to stand out from the crowd and impress others? Dressing in a way that calls attention to yourself as spiritual, identifies you with the Pharisees. And then Jesus also mentioned here the love that the Pharisees had for titles. It was born of their pride. They like to be called rabbi. They like to be called father. They liked to be called teacher. They expected to be set apart. They expected deference. They expected to be elevated by others when, in fact, they should have been deflecting praise to God. Well, what else should we be aware of? Well, you might be a Pharisee if you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, Woe to you! teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Henry Drummond asked, how many people have been kept outside of the kingdom of God by the unappealing character of those who profess to be on the inside? I'm sure that the narrow-mindedness and the legalism of the Pharisees discouraged some people from loving God in their generation. And I'm just as sure that the aloofness and the critical spirit of some Christians today discourage some people 
from following Jesus. One of the most often repeated excuses people give for not being attracted to church is this one, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, in the first place, that is a gross overstatement. But listen, my friends, this is an excuse that we can all help remove from our circles of influence. This is an excuse that we can remove from our community in this generation. Crossroads family, let's renew our commitment to live exemplary lives and make our church a grace place where people feel invited and welcomed and greeted and included and embraced and integrated. We're moving toward what we're going to call section hosts here in our worship center, so our guests will be introduced to a leader, and they'll be introduced to each other before and after our worship services on the weekends. And we want to try to make our small groups on-ramps for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. We, as a church, want to do better than just not shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. We want to do our best to open the door wide to abundant life and eternal life for people in our area. Don't miss this. I am deputizing you to help make disciples by your friendliness, by your kindness, by your openness, by your genuineness to the people in your world. Most of them know you're a part of this church and their opinions of Jesus and their opinions of Crossroads. Crossroads is influenced, if not determined. It's influenced at least, if not determined, by you. And friends, I promise you this morning, there are people in your family, in your school, in your workplace, in your neighborhood who are trying to enter the kingdom of heaven right now. And you, yes, you. You can help them. I used to preach in a community called Mount Pulaski, Illinois, and there was a, a Lutheran church in the town that never changed the message on their outdoor bulletin board the whole time I served there. It said, be aglow with the Spirit. But the pastor there always had the most hangdog expression. I seldom saw him manage more than a pathetic smile. And many times I thought to myself, buddy, there's a serious disconnect between your sign and your face. So let's not be guilty of shutting the kingdom of heaven in people's faces by, by our unappealing countenance, by our unguarded words, by our ungracious behavior. Moving on, you might be a Pharisee if you have a self-serving approach to evangelism. In verse 15, Jesus said, "'Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are.'" See, the problem with the Pharisees is that they were not concerned about being a light to the nations as God had commanded them in the Old Testament. 
Who is like you, a people saved by the Lord? It was God's desire, His intent, His plan that His people would reflect His character in their generation, that His people would be a light to the nations. But the Jews were more into religious systems, so they didn't advance people to experience a personal relationship with God. Instead, they were merely concerned with turning Jews into Pharisees. See, they weren't, they weren't involved in being a light to the nations. They were concerned about turning Jews into Pharisees. They wanted to reproduce their mindset in others. They wanted to persuade others to adopt their point of view on everything. But it's a bigoted and it's an unhealthy approach to evangelism when our goal is simply to have people agree with all of our conclusions and all of our opinions. Our job is to introduce people to Jesus Christ and to disciple them in Christ. And one of the things I love about our non-denominational Christian churches and churches of Christ, our movement to restore the first century church in the book of Acts to the 21st century is the purity of our evangelism to bring people into Christ and to bring them into a church that is not exclusive, that is not denominated, that is not separated from other Christians. And we say that we don't consider that we're the only Christians. We just want to be Christians only. Well, then you might be a Pharisee if you can't be trusted to tell the truth, verses 16 to 22, and rather than read this section of text, let me just explain what the Pharisees were doing. They were acting like little children who make promises and then say, I had my fingers crossed. <laughs> These Pharisees had elaborate methods for being able to say something without being bound by their word. So they would swear by the temple, and that was considered to not be a binding promise. You could break your word. But on the other hand, if you swore by the gold in the temple, then you were bound by your word. If you swore by the altar, it didn't mean a thing. But if you swore by the gift on the altar, again, it meant that you were bound by your word. And Jesus said, it's all just mental gymnastics. It's all just doctrinal calisthenics. And he said, when you give your word, it is in the presence of God who inhabits the temple. When you swear, it is before God who is enthroned in heaven. But if you read the Bible like you read the income tax code, looking for loopholes to justify a lack of personal integrity, that's what they did. And that's what we can be guilty of doing if we're not careful. You might be a Pharisee. Jesus said it earlier in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 37. Simply, let your yes be yes. And your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You might be a Pharisee if you can't be trusted to tell the truth. And then you might be a Pharisee if you fail to focus on what matters most. Verses 23 and 24. Here again, trust me to describe what they were practicing that qualified them as hypocrites here. Here's what Jesus said. And here you see that Jesus' sense of humor. He said, you Pharisees, you, 
you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. What do you mean? Well, you've, you've got a cup of water, you're about ready to take a drink, and you see a gnat floating on top of the water. What do you do? Well, you get it out of there. You don't want it in there. Jesus said, you Pharisees, you strain out a gnat, and you swallow a camel. It's evidence of the Lord's sense of humor. And he was telling them that they were meticulous in this passage. They were meticulous about tithing even the value of the items in their spice cabinets. But they neglected justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And here's exactly what Jesus said to them. You should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, faithfulness, without neglecting the former. He wasn't critical of the fact that they were very careful stewards. He was saying, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So it's not just what we do, it's why we do it that matters. It's not just what we do, but who we are on the inside that matters. Convictions are important, for sure. Please, convictions are important. But Jesus called love for God and love for others as the first and greatest commandment. So what else now? Well, you might be a Pharisee if you're too image conscious, verse 25 through 28. Jesus here indicts the Pharisees for merely wanting to look good in the eyes of others. And he gives two illustrations. One is a cup and one is a tomb. He said that the religious leaders clean the outside of the cup of their lives, but inside they were full of greed and self-indulgence. And then he compared them to whitewashed tombs that were brilliant, beautiful, white on the outside, but inside decadent full of dead men's bones, and he identifies the dead men's bones as hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus is talking about blatant duplicity here, blatant hypocrisy here, having godly character outwardly while maintaining a secret life of shame like the well-known pastor in Indianapolis a few years ago who for 19 years had seduced several women who had come to him for counseling. That's what I'm talking about. He was confronted. He was exiled from ministry, rightly so. And Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they wanted to look good, claiming that they had given the total proceeds from the sale of a piece of land to the church when, in fact, they had kept back a portion. They were exposed, and actually they were executed on the spot. Here's the point. What does it matter if we impress people if we are living a lie before the Lord? In this day and time, when Hollywood and Washington, D.C. say, image is everything. And Jesus says, image is hypocritical if it is not supported by a surrendered life. So, don't dress for success. Instead, clothe yourself with Christ. Well, finally, you might be a Pharisee if you refuse to repent. If I can summarize, in these verses, 
Jesus charges the Pharisees with decorating the graves of the prophets, and they were lamenting. You know, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part in shedding the blood of the prophets. So here are the Pharisees, teachers of the law. They're going out to the cemetery, and they're decorating the graves of the prophets, and they're making this claim. If we had lived back then, we would not have persecuted the prophets and shed their blood. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 31. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. What Jesus did in these words is reference that they were, in fact, just like their forefathers because very soon they were going to shed His blood. They would, just like their ancestors, reject God's messenger because He did not match their expectations. And Jesus has His strongest denunciation here. In the face of the unrepentance and the self-righteousness and the self-aggrandizement of the Pharisees, He says in verse 33, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Folks, the Pharisees compared themselves to others, and they determined that they were better than others. So they were in good standing with God, and they were good enough to qualify for heaven. And this is the epitome of spiritual pride. And I submit to you, this pharisaical attitude is prevalent today. People who play the comparison game and excuse their own sin. People who make their own rules about what God and who God will accept. People who've decided that they'll go to heaven on their own merit. People who've decided they're going to live by human reason instead of by faith. People who, in effect, say, oh, I, don't, I don't need Jesus. I don't need the church. I don't need to invest in building God's kingdom while I live. I don't assume any responsibility for reaching people with the message of Jesus in my generation. I'm accountable only to myself for the life that I live. And the response of Jesus to this refusal to repent on their part, He asks, how will you escape being condemned? Now that's a rhetorical question. They can't escape it. If they won't repent, they, they will not escape being condemned. And he asked the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, and he asks us the same thing without repentance. How will you escape being condemned? Hebrews 10, 26 and 27, if we refuse to repent, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation or prospect of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Well, you know, these words that Jesus spoke really angered the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. 
So maybe one final statement before our time of commitment. You might be a Pharisee if you're defensive about this message. Fred Craddock said, there are only two types of preaching that people won't listen to. Poor preaching and good preaching. The Pharisees rejected the best preaching that they had ever heard. And they rejected the best preacher ever in Jesus. But we're not Pharisees. We're not. So we believe Him. And we gladly receive His Word. Will you stand with me? Father, we thank You that Jesus is full of grace and that He is full of truth. The truth is our friend the truth is our ally. The truth, if we embrace it, brings out the deepest and best in us. Lord, we don't want to manifest the mindset of the Pharisees. We want to have the mind of Christ. And so we pray, our Father, that you would help us in these moments and as we leave this place today to determine that we will live in ways that will honor you in every thought and word and action. And give us integrity, Lord. Help us to live integrated lives, to be one person living in one body. No hypocrisy, no duplicity. Just honest before you and before the eyes of men. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.